0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Today, we're joined by a good friend, Ramsey Alwyn, CEO of National Council on Aging, NCOA, based in DC. Welcome to the show, Ramsey. Thanks so much for having me. So it's past you. Um, But anyway, before we start, can you give our listeners a little bit of an overview of what NCOA is and the mission? It would be my pleasure.
1: I'm so, so thrilled to be back to the National Council on Aging. This is actually my second tour of duty here at NCOA. We're really the national voice for every person's right to age well. And what we stand for is pretty simple, aging well for all, regardless of gender, color, sexuality, income, or zip code. We work with thousands of national and local partners We provide resources, tools, best practices, and we advocate. We advocate to ensure every person can age with the health and the financial security they deserve. And we've been around for over 70 years. In fact, we were the first national organization focused on older adults. One of our newest tools for older adults is the Age Well Planner, and we're really excited about that new endeavor and look forward to to talking more about that later. It's a part of our new website that we're launching soon. It provides tips and how-tos to guide individuals in exploring the different pathways to ensuring they can age well when it comes to Medicare, finances, health, and well-being.
2: And, and Ranzi, we're we're very familiar with the stats, or at least we should be, and be thinking about these numbers. But ten thousand people turn sixty-five on a daily basis in the United States, so getting older is normal. It's biological. This is what we do. We're living longer, healthier, more productive lives, and yet ageism is real. So how do we? Why do we start to change that narrative?
1: It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, we're all aging. If we're so lucky, we'll get the gift of longevity. Unfortunately, ageism is certainly real, and we need to shift the narrative on how we talk about aging. While the term ageism can be unknown for some, it's clearly familiar for any older adults who faced it. Ageism refers to the prejudice, the discrimination against people based on their age. And research shows that most older people have experienced ageism in some form. And the general public has negative and false stereotypes about getting old. And and we ourselves embrace those negative stereotypes. And they're not just bad ideas, but they're actually bad for our health, the research demonstrates. Perceptions that aging means decline and deterioration and that older people can't learn new things are a few examples of how it plays out. And these negative beliefs, they can make it more difficult for all of us to age well, to receive the adequate health care, obtain the employment, or be involved in our communities. In many ways, they can be self-fulfilling prophecies. This, in turn, will result in poor health outcomes, financial instability, and social isolation for far too many. All of these factors are compounded even further for older adults of color and for those with lower incomes. So at NCOA, we're thinking about several different ways we can change the narrative. We work with various partners to create more inclusive, more age-integrated resources and opportunities, working to really change the perception about aging, see it as an opportunity, see it as wisdom at work. We need to better alter how we talk about aging. After all, every one of us is aging every day. It's a fact of life, and making aging well possible for everyone will make all of our lives better. We need to understand that older adults are capable and productive members of society. And just because you turn a certain age doesn't mean you should be put out to pasture or left behind. Each of us can start by talking about the realities of aging, having those honest conversations about the struggles, but also about the opportunities and shedding light on what sometimes feels so very mysterious. So connecting across the generations storytelling, and putting forward new examples of what it means to age today are ways we can all help change perceptions on aging.
0: I can't agree more. I used my um, parents very often as an example, because both of them came from academia, and uh, they both retired early just so that they can dock me in my college. They literally um, sold their place and <laughs> rented a place next to my college so that they can be with me for the whole time I was in RPA. And uh, we moved together. There's always a funny story. But the, the gist of it is I look at my father, for example, he retired in his early 50s. And but he never really stopped. Working, quote unquote, per se. He was still writing. He was still giving speeches um, whenever he could. He was, you know, critiquing his colleagues' work when he had a chance. He was very, very active in at tech in Hong Kong, you know, whenever he had time available. And it was only until a few years ago in his mid seventies. He's like, yeah, you know what? That was just too much work. I'll just do whatever I want. I want to go hiking. I want to go travel. So, when I look at him, right? He started carrying apart his computer, rebuilding stuff. He taught me how to code. He taught me all these things that oftentimes when we look at older people we will be like, well, they're not tech savvy or they're not quote unquote digital native. And that could not be more wrong. We tend to look at people and the number of birthday candles they have and make a judgment, like you say on what they can cannot do and we tend to oversee the opportunity where in fact as you and I we all both know and we have done those studies 50 plus represents 8.3 trillion market opportunity in the United States 22 trillion dollars globally there are so many opportunities for us to work and to improve the well-being of all of us as we get older what where does technology play and this whole equation? What are some of the innovations that you're most excited about?
1: Well, I just love your story about your father and, and his thirst for, for learning and his curiosity. And, and it makes me think of my dad, a, a lobster fisherman and a man who worked with his hands. But once computers came into the mix, oh, my goodness, he created his own version of mission control and learned self-taught library books online learning um his computer savvy and he would just love just combing the internet for hours after a long day working on the ocean pulling up those traps finding exciting marine uh, wildlife in his traps. He was tickled by what the Internet's treasures um, would be, just like uh, being out on the ocean and and not knowing what he was going to pull up next in that lobster trap and just getting um, a, a wild new treasure. He would surf the Internet for new treasures of information, historical, political. He just loved it. Just a real hunger for learning and technology was such a great tool to take him to places he'd never been before and so I can just really relate with that that sort of myth-busting that older adults aren't tech-savvy or or aren't inclined. Um, actually, it can be an incredible vehicle. And, and kudos to you, Theo, and your early work in laying the groundwork for really quantifying the longevity economy and the market opportunity that is older adults. Uh, and when I think about what's possible, you know, I really want to see the market move and innovate in terms of ensuring a more user-friendly experience for older adults. They desire the same types of innovation and tech bells and whistles that all individuals do. They grew up and saw all these major tech breakthroughs and they desire having the same access. And so I just encourage the market to think about what their real needs are, what their pain points are, what the opportunities are to innovate, to enhance their quality of life as they age. And something that really excites me there is just voice technology, voiceover, And all the possibilities that voiceover and voice activated technology can unlock for individuals of all ages, but in particular for older adults, as the inevitable declines in aging in terms of eyesight and hearing evolve. I just see some really interesting opportunities um, to be more relevant in helping older adults navigate their needs and their desires using some of those um, voice activation and, and voice control technologies. Now at the National Council on Aging, our efforts have been evolving to help older adults, especially those um, that may be sort of on the edge of of wanting to ensure their health and economic security long-term. And so we've been creating and iterating um, over new technology tools and platforms that can help make people um, just feel a little more comfortable about navigating some of the often overwhelming and complex challenges. Uh, faced when aging. So the Age Well Planner and Benefits Checkup are two of our flagship digital properties. And as I mentioned, Age Well Planner, it's an online guide to help navigate the complex issues that crop up as we age, including how to stay healthy, how to make the most of your budget, and even how to choose the right Medicare plan. And Benefits Checkup's also a fantastic use of technology we created over two decades ago. It allows older adults to enter a bit of simple information about themselves anonymously and get connected to hundreds and thousands of benefits programs that can help them pay for everything from food to medicine to utilities. It's just an awesome illustration of the power of technology to help people age better. So certainly the pandemic has sort of forced all of us to rely on technology even more so and in new ways shining a light on how important it is for everyone to have access to those digital resources. And I can't tell you how many of my family and friends have informed me that they've assisted older loved ones by giving them access to technology in some form so they can stay connected during this pandemic or uh, to to pay their bills or to figure out uh, how to get access to, to vaccines. Uh, and so that continued need for assistance in terms of digital literacy or access to hardware, access to software, access to connectivity is, is really critical. And at NCOA, our local partners who serve older adults across the country were working quickly to help older adults stay connected and also to offer their services online as people were less comfortable and needed to distance from each other. and. Uh, maintain their safety. And so it's really in many ways also transformed the service delivery network of aging providers in getting them to think a little more intentionally about their use of technology. So for one example, local senior centers and area agencies on aging have gone digital to totally continue their support to older adults, providing caregiving assistance, online Zumba classes health education and other access to critical services. It's really exciting and fascinating to see how that work has evolved so quickly. In many ways, COVID's been quite the accelerant uh, to digital uh, adoption and, and transformation. And so it's so very exciting.
2: I'm still thinking about your father being a lobster fisherman. Um, just recently, my, my older son was doing a personal history project and had all of his grandparents uh, that were still with us on Zoom calls. And my father, who worked at United for almost 40 years, was telling him about the time that they shipped whales in the bottom of a 747. And I can't even imagine you know, a bigger smile on my son's face when he was like, are you kidding me? And having uh, my father kind of talk him through how that happened. Um, but, you know, that's what technology is doing, especially for, you know, the the thread of the family between age groups um, during COVID is that they're connecting uh, with each other in new ways, which I think is really great. When we think about COVID and we think about, you know, some of the things and threads that you kind of pulled in that last answer, we talk about financial security and we talk about the industry that I've spent most of my life in. And, you know, just the the way that Financial services especially thinks about older adults, um, there are more points on a balance sheet, right, to fund loans for people that are younger and there's so much more to that. Our financial obligations are more and more complex as we age, and so we need more help and we need more help, especially for communities of, of, of color and for women uh, who often are even more left behind as they age. So what are the things can can our stakeholders, uh, can COA help? People really think differently about, you know, helping people with with uh, their finances as they age.
1: There's just an incredible opportunity to to get close to the end user and better understand their pain points. At NCUA, we're working with older adults and those that care for them every day, as well as the community-based organizations. And people are aging differently. I mean, it, it it started before the pandemic and the economic challenges. The pandemic set in motion people are just choosing to age in a very different way a very non-linear path of of moving through caregiving and work and lifelong learning and so it's opening up new opportunities and different needs in terms of financial products and services and so putting your ear to the ground listening asking the right questions of what are you struggling with i mean you bring up women and that's just a great example because so often financial services will dismiss women as risk averse. When really, when you step back and you begin to unpackage it, as women, we're often trying to accomplish a variety of goals. We're trying to make sure we're saving for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our uh, future generations. We want to leave behind a legacy. We're helping mom and dad with caregiving. We're trying to finance the 529s for the kids while trying to have a an enjoyable, rich texture experience in the here and now. And so it's not often risk aversion, it's just the desire to achieve a variety of goals, some of which are competing against each other. And so stepping back and sort of thinking about that experience, and that's, that's where technology plays a great role too. I mean, offering up financial assistance, planning and services, in bite size ways, relevant ways, using technology so that I can use a less intimidating platform to explore my options at the convenience, given my work responsibilities, my distance learning responsibilities with my first grader and my third grader and my caregiving responsibilities with my mother widowed now lives with us a few months out of the year having some sort of digital platform that gets me, that I can go to with the flexibility um, that I need makes a big difference. And really using the opportunities to connect with the end user, the community-based organizations, the national organizations that are tied into the consumers and the pain points and the experience to really map out that journey and the best ways to meet the needs of individuals is essential.
0: I can't agree more, and the way you describe it, Ramsey, it, it reminds me of a saying, it takes a village, and it literally does, um, to ensure the financial well-being of everyone that's connected to us, right? As as in, you know, for example, women, like you say, it, there are so many things that we have to take care of that is in our minds, and I feel like there is much more that can be done that needs to be done to address our very specific needs that is not so much so tied to how old we are, but more so tied to the life stage that we're in and the complex um, of responsibilities that's around us. So let's take that one step further because another theme that's related to longevity and women especially is workforce development, right? The one of Korea. How do we Reskill and upskill workers so that they can continue to stay in the workforce. Because one of the stats that really troubled me from the last 11 months from COVID is that there are a lot of people that unfortunately got laid off. But the downside on top of it is even when new jobs are being created, a lot of the older adults are being left behind. A lot of women are out of the workforce. And we all know how hard it is to bring them back in. Um, so what are some of the things that we can learn, the United States can learn from other countries? Because I know you've done a lot of work um, in various countries for quite a while. Well, it's such an important topic. I'm so glad you brought it up and and
1: I've been looking at sort of the future of work for, for a while now and the future of work, it really is human. The, the tasks and the um, advancements in technology will will lend itself to really thinking about the best deployment of our human capital and, and finding ways that after the robots have taken over the rote repeatable tasks, how do we engage the humans that are left behind, the multiple generations found in a workforce? And how are we making sure we're investing in a social compact that allows people to be resilient given the rapidly changing nature of work? And and going back to the pandemic as as an accelerant, it's really just put those issues on steroids because the pandemic has brought about this unique situation with millions unemployed on the one hand and rapidly evolving and growing um, skill needs uh, on the other hand. And there is an opportunity within this sort of crisis when it comes to creating some urgency around rethinking the role of the public sector, the private sector, the nonprofit sector, and individuals, given the reality that the, the workforce trends are just evolving so rapidly. And I think we do need to have some very deliberate conversations, some concerted efforts across the various sectors about What we need as an economy as a society, so that we are investing properly in individuals ability to be resilient. And when it comes to older workers, I mean, the issues are clear. First and foremost, there's the mindset, the ageism in the workplace major barrier. There's very little to no investments in job training and placement in the United States. There are some models out um, in the OECD countries that we can draw upon, but no one has really cracked the nut on the most effective way to ensure individuals have the lifelong learning infrastructure and capital needed to remain resilient. And then finally, there's the challenge of job creation and making sure that the jobs are being created in a thoughtful way in sectors that need more of a workforce and that the training is aligned with those job opportunities. So I mean there is just so much work that's overdue in regard to a very thoughtful workforce planning strategy. But um I, I'm optimistic. I am I, I believe that this pandemic is going to force conversations that that are long overdue in terms of how we leverage the various stakeholders in investing in older adults. It's imperative that governments, employers, and workers invest in the education and training, um, and have a have a level set conversation on what that means. There's there are exciting developments in in Japan and in the UK and in Singapore where they have made investments in job placement and training services um, in Japan for individuals that hit a certain age now. Um, there are pros and cons to the to the system in place there. The positive is that there's a national infrastructure in place to support older adults um, in their job training and placement. The con is that there's a required retirement age and so that placement and and support comes after individuals hit the required retirement age uh, so I, I don't envy the fact that they continue to have a required retirement age which NCOA was very active um, many decades ago in removing such uh, requirements in the US. However, I am jealous of the fact that they have a national infrastructure to support job placement and training for older adults. Now in Singapore, some great innovations in terms of lifelong learning and uh, in investing in the skill building of older adults in a very holistic multi-sector way, where the government is making significant is- investments, but they're in lockstep with industry, high growth industries in particular that need additional workers and a real commitment to seeing the wisdom there. So there are some some exciting practices. In France, there are lifelong learning accounts. Um, in the UK, they've adapted policies to help older workers keep working if they're healthy enough and interested enough. We've got a long way to go in the United States, but there's there's a lot to learn from some of the promising practices around the globe. However, I'd say no one has really, really solved this challenge yet.
2: Well, one of the things that I wrote this year was um, – about leaders now being very focused uh, that the, the calamity and the, you know, pandemic has really changed mindsets in terms of what is possible. It's it's that what was once thought completely impossible, now might be. Um, so when you think about the last year, and the lessons that we've learned, you just gave a lot of really great examples from around the world in Japan and Singapore and other places, thinking about you know, the way that you could see the next year sort of enveloping in front of us, what are the things that you're most hopeful for in the coming year in terms of changing so that older adults have even better lives going forward?
1: Last year was extraordinary in so many regards. I'm so happy to have it in the rear view mirror, honestly. Uh, That said, the events of 2020 the, the combination of the racial reckoning and the pandemic really did lay bare some some longstanding disparities that, that are long overdue from being addressed. So as I look to this new year full of opportunity, I just I just see so much opportunity to really, really tap into the need to elevate aging as the social justice issue that it is. Individuals' ability to live longer with the quality, the quantity of years is a social justice issue. And as we look at the disproportionate impact of the pandemic on older adults of color, older adults in nursing homes, which are more likely to be women and communities of color, it's just morally reprehensible that, that things are where they are today. Just it did not have to be the case. And so I'm optimistic about the fact that aging has been in the headlines, has been in the mainstream over the last several months in ways that you just haven't seen before because of the disproportionate impact on older adults um due to the coronavirus. And so as I look to the new year, I see opportunities for new champions new stakeholders, the private sector to get into the game and to look at the opportunities of aging as well as the challenges of aging and begin to have conversations about co-creating solutions in ways that just didn't happen before. I'm cut from the aging cloth. I'm an aging advocate and have really grown up in the aging network. However, I think that Sometimes the aging network, we've held our our issues so close, thinking that we, the nonprofit aging network, must solve them on our own. Uh, and that's a part of the the issue. We need to actually open the conversation up and and invite strange bedfellows into the conversation to think in new and different ways about these major societal challenges that we can never never fully solve on our own and as people are living longer as people are helping support their older frailer family members it's just creating this aha moment about their own their own desires to age and age well uh, and a recognition of the outdated programs and services that are currently in place that they often have to help their loved ones navigate and so I think there's a real opportunity in this this um policy environment, but also in this environment in which the private sector is increasingly playing a leadership role to solve major societal challenges. I think there's an opportunity for a real leap forward and FinTech companies are critical to the solution. Financial services are critical to the solution. We also need to come together with healthcare startups and health insurance companies, nonprofits. We really need a 360 degree approach to looking at what it means to age well, what it means to age safely in one's home, and how we can all bring our creative thinking and our various assets to bear in in moving the needle. There's just tremendous opportunity to see a new crop of innovation uh, focusing on longevity, really being human centered in the solutions and at ncoa we stand ready to be a valuable partner with any stakeholders that are interested in engaging and really making the world a better place so we can all age well with the dignity the security uh and the purpose that we deserve
0: There is a pin drop moment, Ramsey. Every single time when I listen to you talk, I feel, I'm trying to look for the right word, inspired, but more than inspired. It's, it's, you have the power to lift people up with your words. And, and I don't say that lightly. I, I mean it and thank you for being an inspiration to all of us. And, um, for those of you who are interested, Um, please do visit www.ncoa.org and I'll add to it aging and older adults are not a niche we are all getting older every single day even the little kids even my two little ones and they understand that so us as adults is even more important, is even more imperative for us to understand aging is not a negative. Let's change the way we look at aging. Let's change the way we look at living longer because instead of just the frail decline image that you can see on Google search, there is actually opportunities. So thank you so much for joining us today and thank you all for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you next week.